there's kind of a sense of excitement and disappointment all at the same time, as I say, turn to Revelation chapter 22. And um, it's the last chapter of this book that we've been going through for the last couple weeks, months. <laughs> and um, it's coming to a close, and uh, like I shared with you, when we get done with this book, not this week, next week we're going to finish the, the chapter. We'll only get through a few of the verses today, finish the chapter next week. After that, we're going to be going to the book of Revelation or excuse me, the book of Genesis, and um, my Bible is like all falling apart in that begin part of it. I'm, I'm missing some pages of the Bible, so I guess I'm going to have to buy a new Bible before we go there, so you can get all of um, God's counsel, and um, just have to remind myself of that. <laughs> but um, as we go through this chapter um, of, this, of this, this final book, uh, uh, this final chapter of this final book of the Bible, I want to I point out to you, and I mentioned it before, I know this sounds a little redundant, but there's reasons for this redundancy. And um, not that it's, that it's without point or without value, it, it, it's not redundant in that sense, but repeated in the sense that this book records everything there is to know, that God wants us to know, um, about how things are going to come to an end. Um, and um, as we've read through the last three chapters, specifically 20, 21, and now into 22, as we read through these last three chapters, you know, we've also been told not just about the, the end of all things, but about a new beginning. And, and, and that's pretty cool because as this book ends, it tells us that there's a future for us, there's a hope for us, that there's life still yet to come that God has stored up for us. And, and we've been told about a glorious new beginning, a new creation uh, by God after all the old and corrupt things of this world that we are now living in and a part of as they all pass away. And one of the major themes throughout the whole book of, of Revelation um, that we've been kind of looking at off and on as we've been studying through it verse by verse is, is that one of the major themes of the book really focuses our attention on the decisions that people make. Now, that's a really big thing, especially in our school today, right? Um, you know, our kids are taught about making good decisions and your choices. And, and, and when they're always told or taught about decisions and choices, um, um, you know, they're always the other C word that goes along with that, consequences. And my daughter goes to a school that is an exploratory school here in town, and they're all about kids making good decisions and good choices, but also as um, allowing, telling the parents, hey, because sometimes as parents, we need to be reminded of this, let your kids experience the consequences of some of those bad choices that they make. And man, that's hard to do. My daughter, the other day, she forgot her lunch. And unfortunately, they get like three saves, I think is what it is, where if they, if they forget something or make a bad decision and they're not taking responsibility, they can get like, call your, call your mom or dad as a rescue kind of a thing. And, you know, for a moment I thought, you know what, maybe she needs to know to not forget her lunch. But then my, then my, dad, then my dad heart for my little daughter who's a princess, right, is like, oh, I'm going to get her lunch. And then I grab her lunch pail and she hadn't even made it. So 
I made her lunch, and I got her all kinds of really cool things that her mom wouldn't want her to necessarily eat for lunch, and, and I put it in there, and I took it to her. But um, when we think about decisions and choices, we have to understand that, there, that there's, there's consequences, and that's really what we see in relationship to the things that we're studying through as one of the main focuses of the book of, the Revelation, book of Revelation, is the consequences that are attached to people's decisions. And one of the things that this, this book makes known to us is, is that when it comes to the decision that people make for Christ or against Christ, it's an informed decision right? Nobody makes a decision for Christ or against Christ in ignorance. That would be an, an unloving God, an unfair or unjust God. And that's not it. As a matter of fact, God goes to extremes to reveal to people himself, his love, his will, his goodness, his kindness, in contrast to evil. And yet, we're seeing over and over again that people exercising their free will, um, reject Christ and choose to follow Satan. In fact, the seven years of tribulation that we studied about in whole now are in part about people exercising their free will and making a final decision on whether they will worship and follow God or whether they will worship and follow Satan. And, and God in this time Let's people be so well-informed that the decision truly is that clear, where you're either a God worshiper or you're a Satan worshiper. When I was young in the Lord, I was a little bit more brash and zealous, and um, my words could come across kind of hard. And there was a time in my life when I was going around and saying, you know, you, do you worship Jesus? And asking people, no. Well, then I'd be like, well, you're a Satan worshiper. <laughs> Years and years ago. Now, was I theologically correct? Yes, but there is no love in that. None. And, 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 but when you think about it, there's, Jesus says there's only two choices. There's only two. You're either for me or you're against me. I wouldn't suggest that anybody do that. That's not, that's not advice or good counsel. And, and God rebuked me of that and... and, and, and um, uh, real, I realized quickly that all I was doing was being prideful and self-righteous and really wasn't thinking about other people. But this, as we look at the seven years of tribulation as whole, as we come to the end of it, if you remember, we even studied through the millennial reign where Jesus binds Satan so that nobody on the earth at that time can be affected by temptations, by deceit, by lies, anything where no one can be affected by, by Satan's evil way and he's bound. And we know that Jesus even sets up his throne here on the earth and he rules over all the earth in truth and righteousness for a thousand years. And what is that time about? It's all about God giving people the opportunity to make a free will decision and either to worship him or follow him or to worship and follow Satan. And we know this because at the end of the thousand year reign that many will choose to forsake God and they do so because Satan is released and he leads up a rebellion against the rule of Jesus and we're told that many who have lived during that time in this, in this almost perfect state still turn their face against God and rebel against Jesus and his authority. So in this last chapter, as we begin to look at it now and read through it, we see that the end, um, that when the end comes, by, when the end comes, this chapter makes it very clear to this that every single person will have made their decision. 
an informed decision, and we're reminded of the permanent destination and grim outcome for those who reject Jesus, and we're told more about the final destination and the glorious future for those who choose to worship and follow after Jesus. Now, if you were here with us two Sundays ago, last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday, Um, uh, but if you were here the Sunday before that, you know that back in chapter 21, as we were studying through it, that a good portion of the description about this final place of destination for those of us who choose Jesus, there's description, there's details given. And in that chapter, this dwelling place, this heavenly city is specifically called the New Jerusalem. And so far, if you look back to chapter 21, we've been told about who will be living there in this heavenly city. We're told about, we're given a description of the gates and the walls. We're told about the overall shape and size, the dimensions of the city. We're told about its beauty and its majesty. And we're told, the most significant thing, about God's presence being there as it will be the place where man will once again be able to dwell in the very presence of his creator. Now, as we continue on and look at these verses of chapter 22, I want you to know that we're given a glimpse to begin with of what's on the inside of this future dwelling place for the children of God. You know, it's one thing to drive by a person's house and see the outside. In some people's houses, you look drive by the outside and you'll be like, Oh, I hope I don't ever have to go in there. In other houses, you drive by and you're like, man, I, I've, I've never been in, in the mansion on 9th Street, that big stone mansion. But I drive by there and I, I, I've heard stories and then I look at it and I'm like, yeah, it's going to be gorgeous in there. You know, I've heard about all the restoration and that kind of stuff. And, and I want to go in it. On the other hand, our house, our house has been restored on the inside and it is. It's beautiful on the inside, but on the outside, you drive by it. And it is like, ooh, because there's still a lot of work to be done on the outside. And I don't want the tax assessor to reevaluate the price on my house. <laughs> but anyway, with that, let's read, to, let's go to the God's Word in, in chapter 22. If I'll, I'll read and you can follow along. It says in verse 1, and it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life. And remember, the angel had come to John, and he's, he's given him this glimpse into uh, what this new Jerusalem is going to be, be like, and we've looked on the outside, and now we're being told of what's going, what it looks like and what's going on in the inside. And so there's this river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the lamb, or but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, and they need no, no, no lamp, nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent the angel to show his servants in the things which must shortly take place. Behold, the words of Jesus, verse 7. I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel 
who showed me these things? And of course, John is reflecting back now upon the whole of what has been given to him and what has been shown to him. And then the angel, John said, said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brother, and, the, and, 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 and your brethren are the prophets and those who keep the words of this book. He said, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to... To the, to the tree of life, and may enter through the city or through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual immoral and murderers and adulterers and idolaters and, and, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, verse 16, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the roots and the offspring of, the day, of David, the bright and the morning star, and the spirit of the bride says, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Father, give us your wisdom, your spirit, so that we might discern these words, apply them to our lives, and be more in love with you, having met you here in this place and spent time with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn back over if you need to, to the first verses. We're going to try to make it through the first five verses. And when we look to verses one and two, we see that um, there are specific things that are being talked about that I want to draw your attention to that shows us of what's going on or what's in the city. And when we studied through chapter 21, we talked about when we look at this as a whole, we see that God is really... Um, reversing all of the corruption that men's sin or man's sin had brought upon the original creation that you and I are now living in. Remember, in Romans chapter 8, it tells us, it says, in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes and he says, basically he's recounting the Old Testament account from the book of Genesis, and he says that, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the whole of creation, not just mankind, but the whole of creation was affected in a negative way as it became corrupted by man's sin, which brought in death. You know, and think about it just logically. When, if something's dying, it's going to what? It's going to die. If, if, there's, if, 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 it's, if there's death and corruption, ultimately it's got to come to an end. And we know that that's true for men. God said, if you sin, truly you will die. And man has suffered a, a, a physical death that we need to be reborn, but also we experience a physical death that we are in the active condition of right now. 
We all are all actively physically dying. Well, so is the creation around us. It's dying slowly but surely. It's, it's, it's a shell of what it once was. And, and Paul writes about that, and when he writes about that, he says that because of that, all of creation, there's coming a day that it's waiting for that day when it too will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. And, of the, and, it's, waiting, uh, and, and, and it's waiting for this future time of deliverance that we're reading about here of when the whole of creation will experience this regenerating power of God that restores um, what man has lost. It is what we're reading about in chapter 22. Another um, example of this regeneration and this restoration that comes at the end that we see here is revealed by this river of life that we're told about. And, and, and this is made clear when we look back to the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 2, we're told that originally in the Garden of Eden, there was a river. River of life that went out of the garden, and, and, and from there it flowed um, out of the garden, and it parted into four different ways. And actually, the names of the rivers that it parted into are given there in Genesis chapter 2. However, what we know is, is that this river of life, along with the Garden of Eden, which originally housed the tree of life, it was all lost as a result of man's sin. And we know that when man sinned, that when man sinned, God drove him out. And we might think that that was part of man's punishment, part of the curse, but it wasn't. God didn't say, okay, I gave you this garden, now you sinned, you don't get it anymore. Get out of here. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a punishment for sin, but it was a consequence as a result of sin. And God didn't do it out of anger or out of, out of malice, he did it out of love. He drove man out of the garden out of love. And, 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 and in doing so, we know that he sent an angel who had a flaming sword at the border to keep man out. But in this new Jerusalem, we're told that there will be a new river that contains the water of life. And this, ro- this river um, um, in front, and this river is flowing out of a fountain life which is located at the throne of God. And according to what we read back in Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, it says that we who have chosen Jesus, we who have made that decision for Jesus Christ, that we will be able to drink freely from this river that flows from the fountain of life. And clearly this river will be a real thing in a real place but I want to point out that the river also symbolizes something for us. It symbolizes, and we talked about this before, but it symbolizes how every desire, every need that we have will be completely and eternally satisfied by God at this time, in this place. According to Psalm, actually, I love this verse. In Psalm 46, verse 4, it prophetically speaks of this, and it says that this river will make us glad. This river will make us glad. It says this. It says, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. And when I was studying, I looked at the word glad in Hebrew, thinking that there would be some deep spiritual meaning behind it. And, and you know what? The word is actually shamak, and you know what it means? It means glad. 
but it, but it translates the word glad, um, as it translates to the word glad, shamak, it specifically refers to a person's response, a person's response to rejoice. In other words, it's, it's a feeling, it's a gladness that cannot be contained where it springs forth out of us with rejoicing. In other words, this feeling of gladness, as, as we see this, it causes us to, re, as, as it causes us to rejoice. It's, it's really the result of being satisfied. It, it comes from the result of being content. And the bottom line is, is God is the only one who can satisfy us. God's the only one who can bring a lasting contentment into our lives. The point is, is that heaven and this new creation, which is the destination, think about it. This is your destination. You're on a journey. You're traveling. We're heading someplace. And this is the place. This heaven, this, 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 this new creation, is, which is the destination for us who have, who, have, who have chosen Jesus, it will be an eternal place of, of contentment. It will be a perfect place where you will always be satisfied. You know, but we don't have to wait really until heaven for all of this. For the contentment, for the satisfaction. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to experience contentment. As a matter of fact, we can experience right now while we're still living in this imperfect place. It's not going to be as easy <laughs> as it will when we get to heaven, but nevertheless, it's obtainable right now. Apostle Paul, he wrote about it in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 13 or 11 through 13. And he said, not that I am speaking of being in need. And he was talking about, you know, the Philippians providing um, for his physical needs with an offering. And he's, he's reminding them of it. And he says, hey, not that I'm speaking to you of being in need. Because he goes on, he says, for whatever I, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Okay, just don't stop there. Just wait a second. Back up. I have learned that in whatever situation I am in, I have learned to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. And in any circumstance, and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, absence and need. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when Paul, as I read this, when I, when I read this, I see that when Paul was writing to the, to the Philippians, and, and he explains that he, he learned to be content. And in light of this, I think the first thing that we can discern is that there was a time as there is for all of us in Paul's life or in the way that he lived where he wasn't content. Paul had experienced lack of contentment. A time when really his contentment which came and went was determined by his circumstances or by the things that he had. Sound familiar? Oh yeah. And I think this is something that we can all relate to because we find ourselves often in the place where contentment is based upon what we have, what we want, or what we think we need, or, and or whether or not our situation is favorable to us. Yet Paul learned that through his faith in Jesus, he was strengthened. Listen, Paul learned that through his faith in Jesus, he was strengthened, and therefore his contentment did not diminish even though his situation or circumstances changed. Man, I wish I could sit up here this morning and say, I have learned. Not even close. But I am learning. 
And I know the answer. And Paul gives us the answer of how to experience true contentment in this life. You know, we talked about this briefly when we studied through Revelation chapter 21. And at that time, I referenced John chapter 4, which records the time when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman there at Jacob's well. And at that time, Jesus had said to her, whoever drinks of the water of this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. And of course, you know, Jesus was speaking specifically of himself. He is this water, the living water. And that's what we need to drink from. He also said in John chapter 6, verse 35, he said, whoever believes in me, so, so how do we do that? Through our faith, through believing, he says, whoever believes in me will never thirst again. The point is, is if we're not feeling content, it's because we put our hope, our faith, and our trust in something other than Jesus. Bottom line, I don't know how else to explain it. It's that simple. And so truly today, even in my own heart, in my own mind, and I challenge you to do the same thing, if you have those feelings of lack of contentment, that you just want something else, or you need something else, or you wish that this thing in your relationship wasn't the way that it was, and if it was, then I would be content. If my husband, or my wife, or my kids, or you know, the deal of my job, if my boss, any of those things, if it were, if it were, if I had... If you're in that place and you're struggling with that, you're never going to find contentment. It doesn't mean that God's not going to change your situation. It doesn't mean that your circumstances might not be different. I think God wants some of those things for us in our lives. But the inner peace, the inner contentment where we go, okay, God, it's all right. Even if it's in the midst of the storm. Even if, you know, the Bible tells us that faith can move mountains. But you know, sometimes God doesn't move the mountain. You want to know why he doesn't move the mountain? Because he wants us to go over it. And sometimes that can be a hard, laborious thing, but you can still have peace in the midst of having to climb the mountain. Sometimes God doesn't part the waters for us to walk across on dry land. Sometimes he throws us in the middle of the lake and says, swim. He's not forsaken us. He doesn't leave us. I don't want to get your, your theology or your understanding of God wrong. He's right there with us, and he's the one. Truly, we're swimming, but you know what? He's, he's the one that's got us like you do with your little kids when you're swimming around, right? But the strength comes from understanding that if you believe in God and trust in Him, you don't have to worry about how high the mountain is or how deep the water is. In whatever area of your life, the fear, you don't have the anxiety because He's going to strengthen you. He's going to provide for you in any circumstance that may be unfavorable or anything in your life that you think you need that you don't need. God's going to be more than enough. Faith in Him. Trust in Him. You see, when we put our faith and trust in something or another, Jesus, you know what we're doing is we're wrongly believing that those things will make us glad. We believe those things will make us glad. That situation will make us glad. Maybe it's something that we've recently bought. You ever had buyer's remorse? You know that it's not from buying things. Maybe it's a relationship that you think will make you glad. Maybe you think it's a job promotion and the, and the, and the, the money and the, 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 the position of prominence that comes with it. Or maybe it's a, it's a mind-altering or mood-altering substance that you think that's going to make you glad. But at best, all these things can do is they can only provide some kind of temporary pleasure. A situational contentment that always passes away, that fades away. 
when things change. And the reality is when these things fail us, they leave us in this place where we're even more thirsty than when we were before. It's like taking a hand of dirt and put it in your mouth when you think you're getting a glass of cool water. Hmm. So instead of buying something new, instead of trying to change the relationship or the person in the relationship, instead of trying to get more recognition, instead of, instead of consuming more of whatever the world can offer, turn to Jesus. Turn to Him. He will strengthen you and He'll he'll quench the thirst that you have. He promises this to us. And then and only then will we ever feel satisfied. Then and only then will we have contentment, which is with godliness, which brings forth great gain no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Now, if we look here to verse 2 in our text, it tells us that in this new Jerusalem, there's also going to be the tree of life. This same tree, this is the exact same tree of life spoken of in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And then again in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. And, and this tree was part of the reason for why, I would mentioned it and alluded to it earlier, and I'm going to bring it back around now, but it's part of the reason for why God drove man up out of the garden, kept him out of the garden after man had rebelled against him. It's the tree's fault. Remember, when God created the garden, he placed two specific trees that are mentioned by name in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the forbidden tree, and God told man that if he ate from it, he said, you will surely die. Of all the other trees, of all the other trees, you can eat. Not this one. People go, why'd God do that? Free will. He wanted us to choose, to have the ability to choose. It's just a side note. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the forbidden tree, and God told him that if he was eat to it, he would surely die. And we know that Adam and Eve both ate from this tree. And, and, and then because they sinned, we know that death, and we know that corruption, death equals corruption. Death equals old age. Sore backs. Loss of hair. I mean, goes on. I mean, death stinks. Sometimes literally. But when death entered in, corruption entered in, and because God had... Listen, this is the cool part. This is the redemptive part. You know what? When even before, but God had a plan. And, 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 and because God had a desire, number one, a desire, and because God had a plan to save us from sin and death, He drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. <laughs> 